Welcome to Her Story, a retelling of the biblical narratives featuring women in Scripture with Joanne Guarnieri Hagemeyer, Grace and Peace Joanne. She wasn't a Hebrew at all. She was Egyptian, the wife of an important man in Pharaoh's court. Her only contact with the Hebrew people seems to be from the captive her husband brought home one day, an enslaved boy named Joseph. As he grew up in her household, she was the one who became ever more captivated herself in him. Here's the account of the wife of Potiphar in the time of the matriarchs. Each story in this series was originally produced as a YouTube presentation. Links to YouTube, to Grace and Peace Joanne blog posts, and to the books I've written are provided below. The story of Potiphar's wife is all wrapped up with the story of a foreign teenaged boy whose jealous brothers had stripped him, thrown him into a pit, and eventually chose to sell him into slavery rather than murder him. After marching naked and in shackles for endless miles to Egypt, not knowing their language or customs, this bedraggled 17-year-old ended up in her household as one of her husband's forced laborers, and thus the story of Potiphar's wife begins. So we'll start out talking about the success of Joseph and then move into the seduction by Potiphar's wife and we'll end up with salvation received, but also salvation rejected. It turns out the person who purchased Joseph was a man of high standing. He had wealth and apparently excellent powers of observation. Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of his house, and he put him in charge of all that he had. And from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he had no concern for anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome and good looking. The text indicates Joseph had revealed his Hebrew origins from the beginning, as well as his faith in the Lord. Joseph could have taken all of the credit for his unusual abilities, but instead, he gave testimony to God. And it's also possible Potiphar had no children of his own because this story shows no indication of a family. He might have seen in Joseph someone he could mentor and raise. The word used to describe Potiphar's position in Hebrew is saris, which comes from a root word which actually means to castrate, so a eunuch or possibly someone who is impotent. It had come to mean those people who worked as officials in the palace because often men were castrated to be in charge of the harem. It could have meant minister of state, or it could simply have meant an officer of the court, such as Potiphar. Ancient Egyptians highly valued fertility, and they considered sex to be a sacred act. In fact, it was a woman's greatest desire to be mystical bearers of children, just as the goddess Isis, who was revered above all other goddesses, as richly birthed. So if Potiphar was a eunuch in some way, unable to father children, or perhaps unable or no longer able to have normal marital relations, 
That would help to explain how this story unfolds. Potiphar was wise enough to recognize Joseph's gifts and talents and his character from early on. So under his supervision, more and more authority was given to this Hebrew slave. And not only did God bless the areas over which Joseph was given authority, but Potiphar was blessed in proportion to the authority he gave Joseph. As the text says, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. So the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. Joseph's good character, his ability to do well in every area of the work he was given, his natural leadership abilities, which flourished the more he was given to manage, brought glory to God, and his career steadily progressed with one promotion after another. Joseph found favor with everyone. He was successful in all he did, and his life reflected God's presence and God's prosperity. There's a truth here. God's blessing is the revelation of God's goodness and God's love. So over the course of Joseph's tenure, God revealed God's character and God's power and God's glory through Joseph and through God's favor to Potiphar, to Potiphar's wife, and to their whole household. God's revelation was simple and clear. To have reverence for and serve God was to be well cared for and blessed. And it seems about 10 or 11 years passed by. The boy became a man. In fact, he became the second most powerful man in Potiphar's establishment. Promotion always comes with its own temptations, position, power, pressure, access to wealth, each presenting enticements that before there was no opportunity to enjoy, but now there was. Joseph's temptation started with being noticed. No longer wearing the rags of a slave, he had become a handsome and well-built man, wearing the robe of authority. So it's no wonder that after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Now, women in ancient Egypt enjoyed almost equal status with men. They were able to own property and wealth. They could marry whoever they wanted. They could have jobs. They could travel. They could own their own businesses. They could testify in court. They even got equal pay for their work. And Potiphar's wife is presented as a woman of means, of power and authority, entitled, well accustomed to being obeyed. The phrase cast her eye connotes a single-minded focus. It's saying that she became obsessed with Joseph, and she used language seldom associated with women in scripture. She commanded him to have sex with her. Sexuality in ancient Egypt was actually open and unrestrained. Unmarried women were free to have sex whenever they wanted, with whomever they wanted, and there was no age limit. There was no word for virgin in their language because it just didn't matter. However, adultery, which was defined as having sexual relations with a married woman, was very taboo. So even though men often dealt with fewer repercussions, both men and women did risk punishment. Under certain circumstances, for example, a man could face castration. Whipping, mutilation, or even death were also possible. So divorces were common. Women had the illegal ability to leave any time they wanted. They were free to take their personal belongings with them, and they could count on about a, a third of the joint property 
in their settlement. So you and I might wonder at this point why Potiphar's wife stayed. But consider, she was a woman of some substance. She had married an ambitious and well-to-do military officer who now had been advanced to become the captain of the guard. Possibly she had become accustomed to his wealth and his reputation and his privilege, living close to the palace and having easy access to Pharaoh's court. It is possible she had no other comparable prospects, because what Potiphar's wife was proposing would certainly have been considered adultery. But the danger to her being punished may have held a little bit less risk since Joseph was a slave, and Joseph, for his part, was firm in his resistance. He refused and said to his master's wife, Look, with me here, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself because you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph made two important points. To betray the trust Potiphar had placed in him would be a very great wickedness, and it would also be a sin against God, the God who was blessing Potiphar's and her home, fields, business, and life. It's possible, though, that this is when her resentment of Joseph began because he implied that she was the kind of person who was prone to wickedness and whose gods, the gods of Egypt, did not bless her, but rather a foreign god, Joseph's god, had the rule of her home instead. It's also possible her contempt for her husband began here as well. Listen to Joseph's words, a slave's words. The master has put everything in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am. The master has kept nothing back, except for you, his wife. If you know Joseph's whole story, then you know it was the same hint of self-adulation that had caused such strife with his brothers, and even with his father years before. It had resulted in him losing his robe, and the sign of his father's favor, and being thrown in a pit, ultimately to be sold away. Bear that in mind, because it's going to happen again in this story. Potiphar had given the management of all his business affairs to his slave. And it's probable that Joseph now used Potiphar's office as his own office. And at this point, Joseph had the authority to come and go whenever and wherever he pleased. Potiphar, as captain of the guard, was likely often away from home, and it was inevitable that Joseph and Potiphar's wife would come in contact more and more often. And she propositioned Joseph again and again in countless ways, launching a relentless onslaught of seduction and sexual harassment. Now, when you and I think about the idea of temptation, we tend to think of a one-time dramatic event. But that is not how the writer depicted it. And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, He would not consent to lie beside her or to be with her. Day after day, the temptation of Joseph took place over an extended period of time and in a variety of forms. Joseph did not deal with temptation victoriously in one momentous occasion, but in the day-to-day events of life. And there were several ways in which this might have presented a very strong temptation for Joseph. For one thing, sex is natural 
It's a God-given desire. He was a young man. He was unmarried and he was all alone, the only Hebrew. He was being offered what passed for intimacy and something that might have been satisfying and fun. He could have rationalized that his life of suffering entitled him to a little comfort, a little reward. My life's been tough. I deserve a little fun. I have a right to a little happiness. And Potiphar's wife was a prominent person. It might have been flattering and ego-inflating to Joseph that she desired him. Her position would have been helpful to him, and to scorn her might make life hard for him. And finally, we don't know, but I would guess Potiphar's wife was beautiful and alluring and very good at seduction. One day, however, when he went into the house to do his work, and while no one else was in the house, she caught hold of his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Now, all of a sudden, a flood of questions come to mind. How was it that no servants were in that big house? How could Potiphar's wife get close enough to pull Joseph's garment off? How is it that she was even able to? And what made Joseph run? Now, here's where it gets interesting. The word for garment in Hebrew is beged, and it can refer to clothing or any kind of wrap, and it even can refer to the sheet of a bed. It tends not to mean an outer cloak because there's a whole different word in Hebrew for that. So somehow they were together long enough, and Potiphar's wife was close enough, and Joseph was undefended enough that she could lift that garment right off of Joseph's body. It seems her enticements had almost succeeded. In fact, according to one commentator, the true significance of the word garment is found in that beged, which is repeated six times in this story. I've highlighted it for you so you can count, is also the word, the root word, for treachery and marital infidelity. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called out to the members of her household and said to them, See, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice, and when he heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. And she kept his garment by her until his master came home. So it seems clear Potiphar's wife knew exactly where the members of her household were. She found them right away, and then she gave him her story. This Hebrew leaned into Joseph's foreignness. He was not an Egyptian like them. And my husband has brought among us, revealed her contempt for Potiphar, implying his inability to use good judgment. He was a poor judge of character, and he was held in the sway of a foreign slave who was taking outrageous advantage of Potiphar, abusing his position, lording it over them, making a mockery of them, and insulting them, even to the point of having his way with Potiphar's own wife. Did they believe her? Did their opinion change concerning Joseph's good character and the blessing God had bestowed on their household for the past ten years because of him? 
It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul would write centuries later to persecuted believers. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. As servants of God, live as free people, yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. As soon as Potiphar had returned, his wife gave him the same story, saying, The Hebrew slave whom you have brought among us came into me to insult me. But as soon as I raised my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. You know, I think it's possible that Potiphar, in that moment, saw himself through his wife's eyes. When his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, This is the way your servant treated me, he became enraged. But enraged with whom? And over what? Because Joseph's punishment was not nearly as severe as one would have expected. Instead of being executed, or at the very least whipped or castrated, Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he remained there in prison. Genesis chapter 40, verse 3 and verse 7 indicate that this prison was actually on the same premises as Potiphar's house, and it was very likely within the palace complex where political prisoners could be taken straight from Pharaoh's throne room to this prison. It was a very nice place to be, and Joseph thrived there. Potiphar may have had his doubts concerning the truthfulness of his wife's accusation. The issue of temptation and testing runs throughout the Hebrew Scriptures and the Christian Testament. In his own treatise on testing, James wrote, Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one, when tempted, should say, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire being lured and enticed by it. Then, when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. And the Apostle Paul wrote, No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and God will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, God will also provide the way out, so that you may be able to endure it. There is a crossroads represented in what James had to say and in what Paul had to say. A crossroads where our own desires feel the lure of temptation, even though our spirit knows God is providing a way out. In that moment, we can feel the tug. We know one way leads to death and the other to life. But in the moment, it feels as though to attain our desires would be life and that to deny ourselves with God's help would actually be loss and death. Tests don't always come in some dramatic confrontation where the issue is crystal clear. Often the tests you and I face are in the mundane and seemingly insignificant matters of daily living. How you and I handle the day-to-day -day temptations of life often determines how we will face the major issues that arise only occasionally. 
As a slave, Joseph often faced the temptation of taking things which belonged to Potiphar and using them for his own benefit. But his reverence for God, his life of faith, his adoption of God's character enabled him, even when in the very embrace of temptation, to ultimately choose God's way of life. Potiphar's wife had also stood at that same crossroad, faced with the same choices. Over the course of ten years, the Lord had revealed God's goodness and favor, God's blessing, God's attributes, God's character through Joseph and through God's blessing of her household in all things. What did she feel as the tug of her own culture pulled her? Desire for the sacred act of sex with this handsome and well-built man? Or perhaps even more so, the burden of desire to be the mystical bearer of children? There was something aching in Potiphar's wife. She was willing to risk transgressing the taboos of her religion and society because her obsession loomed so large. Even 10 years of God's revelation, of God's goodness and love, of God's blessing, did not seem to carry enough weight. In that moment, she chose the other road, the one that spoke of fulfillment of desire, but when full-grown would actually lead to death, because her story does end in vindictive malice and rejection of God. God's blessing is the revelation of God's goodness and God's love. When we conduct ourselves honorably, our honorable deeds and words and composure glorify God, and that will count far more than slander and false accusations. Ultimately, when we find ourselves at the crossroad of temptation, the path of life and the path of death before us, the habits formed by daily faith Daily reverencing God and honoring others will carry weight when we feel that tug in our hearts, when we find desire looks like life and denial looks like death. By God's grace, unlike the tragic figure of Potiphar's wife, we can choose life. Oh Lord God, thank you for the lesson in Potiphar's wife. Thank you for showing us how strong that tug of desire can be. Thank you for revealing yourself in our lives day after day so that by your strength we may find courage and with your help we may choose life. We pray this to the praise of your grace. Amen. The story of Potiphar's wife concludes Season 2, The Time of the Matriarchs, in the Her Stories series. Coming up, 400 years after Potiphar's wife, are the stories of two more Egyptian women, Pua and Shifra in season three, The Exodus Pioneers.